I don't know what's more surprising that we had a Philadelphia 76ers reference or first take on, but stay with me, even if you're not a sports person. Five years ago, the Philadelphia 76ers made a decision. They said, we're good right now and we're okay, but we're never going to be great. So what they did was Sam Presti, the general manager who oversees the roster, said, we're going to get younger and we're going to get more prospects. And what that means is they were, the plan was to have two or three losing seasons, but to get some great young talent to bring in, that one day that they would go from good to great. And some of you are saying, why can't the Bills do that? <laughs> Amen, I hear that. So, so what the Philadelphia 76ers have adopted, and as you heard their fans, they say trust the process. They might have even made a t-shirt that says trust the process. I don't know about you, but... So what the Philadelphia 76ers decided and what they've committed to was they were willing to give up what they had to get something that they've never had. Said another way, if you're willing to go where you've never gone before, you have to be willing to do what you've never done. Let me repeat that. If you, if you want to go to where you've never gone, you have to be willing to do what you've never done. You think about that, even if you're not a sports fan, you know about this when, when you're in 12th grade and you're about to graduate from, or graduate from high school and move to college or maybe move to another vocation. Like You don't take your history teacher with you to college or you don't make them you know, your boss at your job. You know, when in business, when you do three or four products and they're really good, but if you want to be great, you might actually neglect those four products to pursue something in a different market. We see this rhythm of in order for you to go from good to great, you have to step into some unknown. Trust the process. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14. I want to give you a little bit of background while you're turning there. Uh, the writer of Philippians, his name is Paul. Paul experienced a radical conversion to Jesus. And we're going to read and look at a little bit about that in verses 1 through 11. But verses 12 to 14 sum up what Jesus has called Paul to do. And also, Philippians is one of the most personal letters in the Bible. Paul feels tied to them, he has a personal relationship with them, and he wants to encourage them. So be thinking about that as we read this passage. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already attained all of this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If you have the version app or if you have your bulletin, you can take notes. Today, what we're going to go through is the problem, the solution, and the application. The problem is this, we're okay with where we are. The problem is, is we're okay with where we are. Verse 12 comes right out, and Paul says this, not that I've obtained this. 
And you can't read verse 12 without understanding where verse 1 through 11 goes. So what I want to do, as you have your Bibles and your apps out, I want to take you through those first 11 verses, and you might just want to mark down some of these ideas so that when you discuss this in your small group, that you're able to really understand 12 through 14. In verses 1 to 3, Paul brings up an issue that a lot of the churches he faces has. And it's this idea of the flesh. Now, when we say flesh, that doesn't mean like flesh wound, Monty Python, or flesh like that. What it means is trying to build your own redemption through performance. It's trying to make yourself matter to God through your works. And Paul says, this is not the direction to go. And he anticipates that the Philippians could run into this, that they could run into this false teaching. So what he does in verses 1 to 3, he states the problem. And then in verses 4 to 7, he begins to share his testimony. So he makes this comment. He says, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I prayed every week. I followed all the laws and regulations. And he said, I was blameless. If you were to take four to seven out of context, and you were just to take it to have it stand alone, you would say, Paul's a pretty good religious guy. Paul knows what he's doing. But what Paul does is even though he did everything right, he did it for the wrong reasons. He did it to attain a righteousness from God that only Jesus could give him. And so when he gets to verse 8, 8 through 11, what Paul does is he says, everything that I did before Jesus, all this trying to make myself matter, all of this works to try to earn my salvation, all that I did was rubbish. It was garbage. But he said, I came to know the life-changing work of Jesus. And that radically changed me. And I want to know Jesus. Now, if you read verses 1 through 11, and, and what Paul anticipates with us, but also the Philippians, is this. Is that, that maybe at verse 11, you might stop. You might sit there and say, Paul has arrived. Paul has come to a place that he's a spiritual giant. And you think about it, he's in prison right now, and he might know, hey, I'm about to die. I, hey, I, my, my end is coming, and so I'll just kind of sit in the background. But what does Paul do? Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, but I press forward. We're okay with where we are. Paul wants to make it abundantly clear abundantly clear to the Philippians. He wants to make it abundantly clear to us that, that if you're still living, you're still growing. That Jesus isn't done with you. And this isn't the first time he's brought this idea up. In Philippians 1.6, he says this, being confident of this, he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will take it to completion. One of our problems is, is that we're okay with being okay. We're okay with where we are. Part of that is, you know, when we think of following Jesus, sometimes we think that we can get to this state that we're really comfortable. You know, I really like the seat that I'm sitting in. It's warm and it's at the end, so I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm comfortable with the people that I know. I'm comfortable in the small groups. You know, I'm comfortable in the areas that I serve. You know what? I, I, I really, I don't know if I'm supposed to take another step. I'm okay with where I am. Another thing is being okay with where we are. It's, it's about control. That we kind of, 
you know, instead of wanting change, we want all the details on the front end. We want all the spreadsheets. We want to know everything that's going on. And so what we do is we say, you know, we need to plan a little bit more. We need to have a little bit more prudence. We need to know where we're going. But what that actually does is it says, you know, we're good. We're good. You know, the biggest fear to churches are, are the churches that, that end up being a little complacent and they stay where they are. And so it's this lie that, that Jesus, you know, has us where we are and we're called to stay there. But that's not what Paul says. He says, not that I've already obtained this, but I'm willing to take the next step. I'm willing to go where I've never gone before and willing to do what I've never done. Last week, I was with Mike Miller, who, during this 11 o'clock hour, he oversees married life in A12, and he drew a picture, and he drew a line that went like this, and he wrote change, and then he wrote why. You see, when, I, when all of us get to a point of change, we ask this question, why should I do this? Why should I get a gym membership? Why should I buy this product? Why should I, why should I follow Jesus? Why should I go to this church? And he drew this line, and then he drew a line that went perpendicular, and he wrote yes on top and no on the bottom. So when we get to that point of change, we have two options, yes or no. But what most of us do is this. Most of us don't even make a decision. You know, we, we, we just kind of kick the can forward. We, we feel like it's okay to just wait on it, that, that we're good with where we are, we're comfortable, we have control, we understand. We might need to get a few more details ready. But is really that what the gospel's called us to do? Has the love and grace of Jesus Christ changed us so that we can get to a place where we're not growing? Said another way, the movie Pixar, Moana, if you want to go see the ocean, if you want to go see the rest of the world, you have to get off your island. Said another way, from the great philosopher from Sesame Street, Ernie, you got to put on the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. With all three of those, you have to come to the place that the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of moving forward. That the risk of staying the same is far greater than the risk of changing. The problem, we're okay with where we are. The solution is make Jesus your goal. Make Jesus your goal. If you look at verse 14... Paul says this, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. So I don't know how many of you are here, and as you read this passage, you can see that if you're a runner, you kind of understand this. The way I run is I get on a treadmill and I turn on ESPN and I say this, I say, let me get distracted so that I can actually run. For others of you, like you thoroughly like enjoy running and you go forward. And when you run or when you walk, you get to this point where you can decide, I'm going to slow down or I'm going to press in. That you get really, really tired and you decide to go forward. What Paul's saying is this, I'm willing to press forward. I'm willing to go faster because Jesus Christ is worth it. I'm willing to move forward. And so what he says is this, is he said, I'm trusting the process that, that I'm not where I should be. There's another place to go, but my goal is Jesus Christ. You see, one of the things to understand about Paul in this passage, in verse 14, Paul says the upward call. 
what we do with conversion, coming to know Jesus and calling, is we actually separate them. But what Paul does with conversion and calling is this. He puts those two things together. He says, because Jesus Christ has changed my life, because I'm experiencing the grace and love that he offers, that radically changes my purpose. In Galatians 1.15, you can write this down, Paul makes that clear and he says this, is that God saved him to reach the lost. God saved him. God radically transformed him because he's called to your purpose. I just want to stop right there. What if you saw your life as calling from Jesus? What if you saw your job as a calling? What if you saw your playgroup with your kids? What if you saw your class as calling that God has called you to the people that you're with and he's redirected your purpose? Conversion and call go together. So even more so, Paul made it his goal. If you look at the back of your Bibles or you even Google this, what you'll see is map out Paul's missionary journeys. Now here's the deal. Paul didn't have a motorized boat, he didn't have an airplane, and he didn't have a car. So every time he traveled, he went on foot or he took a boat that sailed. And if you look at that map, you have Jerusalem over here and you have Rome over here. Paul had a lot of miles, but he said this, I will write letters, I will travel, I will use whatever technology is necessary, I will take whatever steps necessary to go where the gospel has never gone, to be with people that it's never heard about Jesus. He was willing to do whatever it took. And even in prison, so what happened in Christianity in the first century was Paul was in prison, and a lot of people saw that if you were in prison, that you were a higher spiritual level. That, that you have attained this level. What Paul says is, no, no, I still have areas to grow. God's not done with me yet. He's still working on me. And he's making that clear to us. I press on towards Jesus Christ. I press on towards the gospel. I'm following this calling. And even while he's in prison, the books of the Bible, the uh, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, I just went those out of order, but that's okay. Those are all prison epistles. Paul wrote those books of the Bible while he was in prison. Even when he wasn't moving and he wasn't traveling, he was willing to take the next step. So what do we make as our goal instead of Jesus? You know, again, I think it's comfort. You know, we get to a level of spirituality. We get to it as a church that the church is the right size. The church is, is at the place that I like. You know, I'm comfortable. You know, we get to control. You know, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know where I'm headed. You know, I want to be able to, to climb the corporate ladder. I want to be able to go where I need to. And if, if I don't know what the future looks like, then, then you, know, I'm, you know, I want my control. The other place is comparison. I find it funny that when we compare people, we pick the lowest common denominator. So for instance, pretend I'm in your small group and you go, hey, I pray more than Peter, I must be doing pretty good. Or hey, I read the Bible more than Peter, I must be doing pretty good. When you compare yourself to others, you miss out on what Jesus has for you. You see, when you compare, you miss out on what Jesus has. And here's what that passage is saying. Paul's saying this, 
Jesus Christ has radically transformed me. He has radically loved me through his grace. And that gospel, it's not only from me to receive, but it's extended towards other people. It's reaffirmed my purpose. It's given me new life, which is meant to be shared with other people. When you make Jesus your goal, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ becomes your goal and you end up becoming more like Jesus. Think about how that changes the people around you. When they see someone that's authentically experiencing life change, when they see someone that, that is constantly growing because the grace and mercy of God is in your life, that the love of God is coming from you, that it's not of your own works, but it's what Jesus has done in you. I was talking to Sam Huey about this passage, and he shot me this email, and I just wanted to read it to you. He said this, Being a Christian is an act of love, not passive. It's generous, not selfish. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to love God more. I want to love my neighbor more. I want to show the love of God through Jesus to everyone who does not yet know God and does not yet know that love. That's my job in life and my life's true purpose. Could that be said of us? Could that be said of us? So the problem, we're okay with where we are. The solution, make Jesus your goal. And the application, by the grace of God, go to where you've never gone before. By the grace of God, go to where you've never gone before. So the Sixers were willing to give up the good to get to the great. And you could say that they're still in process. But that's the rhythm of following Jesus, is that in order for us to grow, we have to leave the island behind. In order for us to get where Jesus has called us, sometimes we got to put down the ducky to go, what, to go to the next level that Jesus wants us to go, to take that next step of faith that it's motivated by the love of God, it's motivated by the gospel and God's grace, the fact that Jesus Christ has changed you. So let's think about that in two levels. So level number one is at the personal level. So we, we have a mission here, and you probably have heard us talk about it. It's inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we have a, a discipleship pathway. Begin, belong, serve. So begin, what we mean by that is we believe that every person should be here every Sunday if possible. That there's something that happens when you come to corporate worship. There's something that happens when you connect with new people. There's something that happens when you're singing and hearing messages and you're with people on Sundays. And then we have belong. Belong means this. We believe every person should be part of a small group that's 10 to 12 people, that you're praying together, engaging the Bible, but also that you're the first line of support, that when someone goes to the hospital, that there's people that are visiting them, there's the meal trains there, that, that all the websites, that people are taking care of each other, and it's also the place where you grow the most, that people have permission to speak the truth in love, that you're even able to receive that too. And then we believe that every person's called to serve that out of the love and grace that Christ Jesus has given you, 
that out of his service to us through his death and resurrection on the cross, that you can give out of your time and your talent to someone else. That's everything from cutting bagels and bringing out those wonderful donuts on Sunday morning to the coffee to serving for 40 weeks as a small group leader in Embrace for our preschool, in Explore for first through sixth grade, in Elevate for our senior high and for our junior high and Emerge. That there's people that are giving of their time and investing in the kingdom. Let me ask you this. Where are you on that pathway? And you might say to me, Peter, you know, I've been kind of pushing this. I'm not sure what step I need to take. I'm not sure what I need to do. Well, why don't you take this step? I'm giving you permission to use your phone in church. So kids don't ruin it for me, okay? Go on our app and click next steps. And then click get connected and fill out that card. And let's decipher together. Let's help you find where you might need to belong or where you need to serve. For many of you, you already begin and you already belong and you already serve. So when we say, go where you've never gone before, it's not necessarily that God's calling you to Africa. That's not my call, that's his. So be open to that. But maybe what God's calling you to do is to go the next level to go deeper in understanding God's word, to go deeper in prayer, to go deeper in community, to have the tough conversations, to really pray for each other. But it might even mean this in serving. You might serve in a ton of different places. Here's my question to you. Who are you raising up to take your place? Who are you developing? Who are you bringing alongside? Who are you investing in your small group? Who are you bringing into your small group that's not connected? See, there's something powerful that God does through you that when you take time to invest in another person, when you get to heaven, you'll realize this, is that God used you to play an important role in someone else's story, that God brought change into someone's life because you were open and available to do so, that rather than doing everything on your own, rather than serving on your own, you took time with people and you brought them to a place that they had never gone, and you did something, in, or they did something that they had never done because you were available for them. Are you going to take that step? So what does that mean for us as a church? And uh, before I go further, on, on the back of your bulletin, there's a small group question. It says, you know, what steps are you going to take to go to where you've never gone before? Think about that. Now for us as a church, I want you to imagine this. The town of Penfield comes to us, and they tell us this. In our community center, 70% of Penfield shows up there. And what we want to do for you, church, is we want to give you a table. And most of the 70% of the people that show up to our community center every day, they show up there for more than 20 minutes. And we want to give you a free table. We want Browncroft to sit there. You know what you would say to me? You'd say, Englert, get out of your office and get to the Penfield Community Center and hang out there. Type your sermons, send your emails, get to know people. And by the way, some of you would say this, we'll show up there too. Do you know that that happens? 70% of adults are on Facebook, most of which are there more than 20 minutes a day. 
So when we talk about going to where we've never gone before, what that means is this, going to the digital realm, going to the digital space, is that there are people that are connected to their phones, they're connected to Instagram, they're connected to Facebook, they're dying to find community, they're dying to get to know people like you, and most of all, they're dying to get to know Jesus, but they don't know how to get there. And the risk for us staying behind is greater than the risk of taking that next step there. You see, Paul wrote letters, Paul got on boats, and he traveled because he believed that the gospel message was so important that he was willing to go to Spain, he was willing to go to Rome, he was willing to go to Turkey, he was willing to go anywhere that would have him wherever God called him. See, you're holding your Bibles right now, some of you in the electronic form, some of you in physical forms. There is this guy that you probably heard about in history, his name was Gutenberg, It used to be only clergy had Bibles, but he believed that every person should have access to the Bible. He stepped out in faith and said this, we are going to give people Bibles so that they can learn about Jesus. You are here because he did that. And then I want you to think about this. Not so long ago, America's pastor, Billy Graham, he stepped into television when no one else was. And some of you are here because Billy Graham preached a message on TV and you gave your heart to Jesus. And he said this, I'm going to blaze a trail. I'm going to go where no one's gone so that we can have the message of Jesus. We're at that same spot right now, church. Five years from now, you'll be sitting here in your pews or in your chairs or whatever. You'll be sitting here somewhere. You'll be sitting here and you'll sit next to a person and you'll ask them this, how'd you get connected to Browncroft? And they'll look at you and they'll say this, you know, I was watching the live stream services on Sunday morning. I've been looking to get deeper into my life. I've been looking to to grow and I've been trying to find meaning in my life. And I keep on hearing about Jesus and I keep on hearing what God's doing. You know, I just decided that this was going to be the first Sunday that I just attended to see if it was real. Are you ready for that church? Do you know that there's people, if you meet a new person here, they, they might have found out from us about word of mouth. They might have found out by some other means. But most people will Google us or search us out on Facebook before they ever step foot in here. To go where we've never gone as a church means to step in this digital realm, which can be scary. We don't always have the control but the message of the gospel has not changed. The methods have. The message of the gospel is not on the table. The good news of Jesus Christ has always stayed the same. It is timeless, but the methods of how we communicate that have changed. The last small group question on the back of your bulletin says this, what type of church would my grandkids attend? What type of church would my grandkids attend? I want to I be honest, that's not just a question for people that are grandparents. That's a question if you're 16 years old, if you're 26 years old, however old I am, if you're 36 years old, if you're 46 years old, if you're 56, if you're 85 or 95, however old you are, if you're single, if you're married, if you're married with kids, if you're married and you're an empty nester, all of us are called to ask that question. See, when we did the self-assessment survey, the one area that we could grow in the most is reaching others. 
And as you think about it, we've been talking about the REACH initiative for the past six to eight months. We've been talking about taking steps forward. And a church that begins to have the attitude of Philippians 3, 12 through 14 doesn't just ask, what's going to be a great church for my kids? It's what's going to be a great church for my grandkids. I have this picture in my life that I, I think about often. And I think about when I'm like 70 or 80 years old and, and maybe even I'm still here. And I'm sitting right over there where Allison is sitting. And I'm there with my kids and my grandkids, and we're all worshiping Jesus. And sometimes I wonder, you know, will the music make sense to me? You know, will, will I know what Snapchat is? I still don't understand Snapchat. I'm just being honest. You know, I don't, I don't get it. I'm working on it. But I hope as a church that we are willing to reach the next generation, that we are not only willing to reach our kids, but our neighbors, those that live thousands of miles away in in the next country, those of us that that are here, that are grandkids, that they would come to a church that's warm and inviting, that it's a safe place to explore faith, that it's an area and it's a time that we can get to know Jesus, and that years and years down the road, maybe some of you will be investing in those kids. Maybe some of you will be investing in those grandkids and that when we get to heaven and the whole section of Browncroft is there and we would begin to see all the people and what Jesus would say to us is, see, you responded to my call. You responded to what I was asking you to do and we would make a significant difference in in this area. That we'd make a significant difference in Penfield, in Pittsford, in Fairport and all over. Are you willing to go as a church where we've never gone before to see Jesus do things that we've never seen him do? That will require us to do things we haven't done. Trust the process. Do you trust that Jesus is calling us to take the next step? Do you trust that if you're living, you're still growing? Do you trust that the risk of staying the same is greater than the risk of taking steps forwards? Do you trust that the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of taking the next steps? What if we adopted an attitude personally, God's not done with me yet? What if we adopted an attitude that God's not done with this church yet? And we began to dream 20, 30, 40 years down the road to see the legacy of faith that's here. Trust the process.